Would you stand with me and grab your copy of God's Word? Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to lay some foundation for the Christmas narrative today. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. And we're going to read into Galatians chapter 4. So just make sure you're following along. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Reading from the New Living Translation, Scripture says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen to that. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So Paul is connecting way back into the early moments of our Scripture to show that this has been God's plan all along. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children... Those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Notice this, but when the right time came, or Scripture says in one translation, when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. And because we are His children, God sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are His child, God has made you his heir. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And in these moments, God, I pray as we are giving space and opportunity for you to work, I pray, Lord, you would do just that. May you do much greater than I could ever do. And may you speak to our hearts. I pray people today would be encouraged to trust you and to trust your timing in their lives and everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I think we probably all know that, that timing is very important. Timing is very important. Uh, I, I never played competitive travel basketball or competitive team basketball like my friend Nick Robertson over here. But, uh, but, and, and he's better than I am even now for that matter, I'm sure. But I know that the, the play, people who are playing, the things that you see even in NBA professional games... Those players have to jump at just the right time in order to be able to block a shot or to knock a ball away in order for it to not score. In baseball, that third baseman has to jump at just the right time to snag that ball that's screaming down the third baseline. Timing is important. You have a time for a doctor appointment, and when you get there, you hope to get in pretty quickly. The last thing anybody wants to do is to wait in the waiting room for two hours, right? Timing is important. We have other things to do. 
If you've flown on an airplane, then you know that timing is important. Several years ago, I was flying from Boston, Massachusetts to Houston, Texas via, I think it was Chicago, and I had a very important appointment when I got to Houston with an influential leader and pastor, and I got to Chicago, and how many have ever flown, and about 30 minutes before it's time to get on the plane, they come on the radio and say, it's delayed. And then 30 minutes later, it's delayed some more. And then an hour later, it's delayed some more. And eventually, you're just kind of like, you know what, can we just call this? Can we just not keep delaying? Can we just say the flight's canceled, the plane's messed up or something, and let us know what's going on? If you know anything about that, it can cause you to miss your connecting flight. It can cause you, as I did several years ago, to miss that important appointment and have to reschedule and fly a totally different direction. And how many know in this holiday season, the time, the perfect timing of cooking is really important? If you cook it a too little of an amount, it won't be completely done in the center. If you cook it too long, nobody wants to eat it. And it's like that scene from Christmas Vacation where they cut into the meat and it just falls apart and there's nothing really there, right? Uh, That's why I just buy edible cookie dough. Forget the cooking part. Just buy it that you can just eat straight out of the package. It's edible. It's edible. I've just ruined somebody's morning, I can tell. But if you like me and want to get me a Christmas present, I like uh, Pillsbury chocolate chip cookies. I like the large Reese's Pieces cookies. Uh, Any of those would be just fine. And they say on the package they're edible. Please get the edible kind because that's really the only way to go. It's comfort food, I guess. Galatians chapter 4 that we read a moment ago speaks of the fullness of time or the right or perfect timing when God sent His Son Jesus to the world. We're reminded in this passage of Scripture that, that God's plan was at work from the very beginning. This wasn't a haphazard or accidental response of God. This wasn't a knee-jerk response to what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden that, oh no, now i got to have a plan B and send Jesus. Actually, we learn that God's plans and God's actions are always intentional and purposeful, and He sees things a lot different than we see them. Uh, There's a great book written by a pastor named David Wigington called The God of the Long View. And it's this understanding that God sees how what's happening right now may have effect even 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. God sees all of that and His actions are intentional. So rewind and review with me what got us to this point in Galatians 4. John chapter 1 in the New Testament, John chapter 1, tells us that in the beginning the Word, the living Word, Jesus, already existed The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. We read in Colossians and other places that God created through Jesus, and we read that nothing would have been created except through Him. So He was there with God, eternally existent. Jesus was not born of God in the sense like a child would be born of someone today. He was already there. He was existent with God then, as was the Holy Spirit. So in Genesis chapter 3... When Adam and Eve rebelled against God and disobeyed His instruction, God comes to them and has a conversation with Adam and Eve and then also actually talks to the enemy who at minimum had control of the serpent who deceived Eve into eating the fruit. And God's response to the enemy, the devil, and his part in the fall of man 
was that the enemy would strike the heel of Jesus, but Jesus would strike or crush his head. What we see is that at the fall of man, God was already giving the forecast of what was to come, that the enemy wouldn't win. His power and his plan to corrupt humanity in a sinful way wouldn't ultimately win, but Jesus would die for the sin of humanity, that through his death and resurrection, the enemy's plan and power would be destroyed. So we see that God was already at work. God already had determined that Jesus was going to be the atoning death for all humanity. In fact, it goes back further than even Genesis chapter 3. Revelation chapter 13, 8 reminds us, that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. God's intent was already there. It wasn't a knee-jerk reaction to send Jesus or have a plan B. This was always the plan. Jesus was always the plan. Faith in Christ, faith in God was always the plan. We actually see that in the Old Testament with Abraham long before we see the law of God given to Moses. Faith in Jesus, faith in God was always the plan. What Galatians chapter 4 teaches us, 3 and 4 teaches us, is that God gave His perfect law as a guardian until Christ came to show us who God was, to show us God's perfection, to show us God's expectations, and to ultimately prove that we're sinful and in need of a Savior, in need of grace. Romans chapter 3 echoes these, these thoughts. Obviously, the law applies to those whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. All those that live under the law, they could never keep all of the law. There was a lot of things, 600 plus commandments to keep, plus all the additional things that the the leaders of the religious law, the Pharisees especially, had added to it as ways that people were supposed to live and how they were supposed to do things. And it showed repeatedly through history that, that we needed Jesus, that we needed grace, that we in ourselves have nothing to offer, nothing to bring to God, and could never measure up to His perfect, glorious standard. So then if that wasn't enough, God's God's already had this in his heart before the foundation of the world. Then, after the law has come, then he sends messenger after messenger after messenger. We often call them major and minor prophets in the Old Testament. Messenger after messenger was used by God to forecast the future, to point forward to the Messiah, Jesus, who would come to provide the way of salvation for all mankind. And Scripture teaches us then in Galatians chapter 4 that when the right time came, when God in His perfection knew that everything was aligned the way it needed to be, He sent His Son Jesus. We notice in Galatians 4 that He was born of a woman. So here and in John 1, emphasized the incarnation or God in the flesh, that God stepped down, God the Son Jesus, stepped down from perfect heaven into imperfect humanity, bore the sin of the world, took on the sin of the world, even though He was without sin, fulfilled the law to perfection, and ultimately gave His life for us. And the question that you may be asking is, why was this the right time? 
Because we can, we can ultimately study throughout history and realize that thousands of years had passed from the beginning of time as we know it according to Scripture through the prophets and promises of God until the Messiah Jesus was born. Thousands of years had been covered in time. We could try in some ways to speculate or we could try in some ways to have some pretty good rationale. We know that first that in that time that passed, the law of God had been given and as we said a moment ago, it proved that humanity was sinful. We were unable to measure up to God's glorious standard. Even the greatest heroes of faith that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, even the greatest heroes of faith had their failures. David was said to be a man after God's own heart and he had his own failure, right? Multiple occasions. It wasn't just the, the uh, Bathsheba and Uriah situation with an affair and ultimately having her husband killed. It was also the fact that he became so powerful in his kingdom that he wanted to count it up and see how, how good they'd really become. There were multiple things. Different times we can see that heroes of the faith lied and told somebody a different story than what was really the truth. We can see that nobody could ever measure up to God's glorious standard. So here's all of this history in time, and all it did was repeatedly prove that we could never measure up. We have a sinful inclination, a sinful infection, if you will, a heart that is black without Jesus that will not follow the ways of God on our own. During that time that passed... There was also opportunity for God's track record to be on display, for His faithfulness to be experienced. When you go and read, I think about the Psalms, and I've been, been living in the Psalms for a little bit throughout this year, and, and as you read through them, how many times do the Psalms point back to what God did to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt? How many times does the Word of God in the forward part speak back to what God has already done? So all throughout this history, why, why did it take thousands of years for the Messiah to come? All throughout this history, it proved God was faithful that what He said, He always did. That He was always faithful to be with His people. We think about the virgin conception and virgin birth and it ultimately proved that God was at work and that Jesus coming to earth was not just merely a human work. Think about it. This was inconvenient to culture because culture in that day was totally different than today. Engagement today can, can happen on multiple occasions and some people just kind of flippantly throw those things off. And even marriage today is not treated quite as sacred as it once was that, that the commitment is not for as long as we shall live till death do us part. But in that culture, just being pledged to one another to be married was considered so serious that it required a divorce, in essence, a decree, in order for them to separate. And if there was a pregnancy outside of marriage, it was viewed as being unfaithfulness. That's why Joseph struggled so much when he discovered that Mary was expecting a child. The only logical human explanation in that moment was, she cheated on me. But you know that obviously God spoke to Mary and Joseph both, including encouraging Joseph to continue on. This, this wasn't a convenient thing, but all of this is happening as God is playing it out in the plan that He had. And then you have the birth in Bethlehem. The fact that they had to travel away from home to be there, that was inconvenient, especially for a traveling pregnant teenage girl uh, who the last thing somebody wants to do when they're expecting a child late in the pregnancy is to travel. That wouldn't be convenient at all. 
And then you add to it not only all the details that God provided and then showed all of these things happening, but then you talk about the developing world at this time. Language was becoming more and more advanced. There was a a growing sense of peace in that region of the world that maybe hadn't been present before. And there were systems that were being developed in the world in that day that were expanding land travel and sea travel, which ultimately God knew in His infinite wisdom would facilitate communication communication to new people who hadn't heard the truth about Jesus more and more and more. Think about it. We have a hard time understanding how in the world do you go somewhere without getting on the highway or getting on the interstate. When I was growing up, we'd have to drive country roads just to go to grandma's house. And my question for mom and dad was always, can we find the interstate to get on? Isn't there an interstate somewhere we can take to Grandma's house? We're accustomed to the development in our world for for having first world problems and not even third world problems, let alone no roads and no systems at all. So it was at this point in history that things are developing more and more and more, and God knew that when Jesus came at just the right time, it would be easier to spread and speed the, the gospel being shared. So at just the right time, Galatians chapter 4 teaches us, at just the right time, when when people hopefully throughout history were realizing we need salvation and we need grace, we can't measure up to God's glorious standard. When they realized God was faithful to do what He said He would do and His faithfulness was on display. When Mary was of age and, and, and able to be pregnant and give birth, and when the world's systems and development provided means to speed the spread of the gospel... Scripture teaches us at just the right time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, Jesus, to the world. Rather than trying to keep the law on our own, rather than being stuck in our own sinfulness with no good to bring before God, God sent His Son, Jesus. Rather than being slaves to sin and obligated to sin and defaulting to sin and obligated to try and keep a law we couldn't keep, Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly, died a criminal's death, even though He was the sinless Son of God, and He ultimately paid the price for you and I to be free from the power of sin. And Paul says in Galatians 4 that now because of what God has done at just the perfect time, the Holy Spirit indwells our lives and we can call out to God, not as some distant creator, but as our Father who cares about us, who loves us deeply so much that He sent His Son, Jesus. That we can have this this intimacy, this relationship with God, to be a child of God. There are a few things that I think we learn by looking back and considering the entirety of this plan of God. And I want to give you these four thoughts really quickly today in hopes that this is not just a tie to understanding the Christmas narrative, but that it's also a help to where you are in your life right now. If you're taking notes today, number one, here's what we learn. We may not always understand the timing of God. We may not always understand the timing of God. While God operates in a time that we understand, He is not limited by time, nor is He limited in understanding, so He can see everything past. He lives and operates and moves in the present and can see everything future with foreknowledge to know what is to come. That's pretty incredible. 
We in our limited minds can't do that. We in our limited understanding can try to rationalize reasons why in our own lives years can pass and details can shape together. And we can, we can have in the Christmas narrative, we can have some legitimate realities as to why God unfolded things the way that He did. But what we ultimately may need to realize is sometimes we may not get why God operates in the way He does. For a lot of people, that's really a bother. I want to I be... I want to be knowledgeable. I want to have the prediction of what's to come. I want to know the forecast. The weatherman says it's going to be 47 degrees this week. That's like a heat wave in Minnesota in the winter. But you know what? I've noticed, if you are one of these, please don't take this the wrong way, I've noticed that weathermen are the people who can work a job and get it wrong 90% of the time and still keep their job. They, they don't understand everything. They, they, they try, they attempt, but they can't always figure out. And sometimes we try and we attempt to figure out what God's doing. How is He working? How is He going to bring this all together? We ultimately want to be able to pick that puzzle up off the shelf and look at that picture. That's the reason why we buy and spend time putting together 500 or 1,000-piece puzzles, right? Why would anyone want to do that? It's because there's some beauty in this picture that's going to develop when all the pieces come together the right way. And what we spend a lot of our time doing is trying to figure out how's God going to place all these pieces? How are all of these things going to come together? And what we have to do is come to this place that we may not always understand God's timing, but we can trust, number two, that God's plan is at work. Even when we don't see it in the natural, even when we don't feel like anything's changing, that's a hard spot. Let's just call it what it is. It's a hard spot sometimes. I've prayed. God's given me a word. I know what he said. I, I know he said it to me. I know he's confirmed it through others. I know it's, it's just so plain and so obvious, but it doesn't look like anything's happening. Nothing's unfolding. Why is God taking so long? And we have to come to this place to understand in our lives that even when we don't recognize it or see it, or maybe even when we can't fully understand the timing, that God's plan is always at work. I think we either take God at His word in Scripture or we don't. We either believe the Bible or we don't. And the Bible says that He works together all things, all things, for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. If we're not following Jesus, we can't count on this. We can't count on God unfolding things at just the right time and in just the right way. But if we're following Jesus, there are promises in Scripture that God will unfold everything that needs to happen in our lives just when it needs to take place. In fact, Scripture goes far enough to say the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. And, and I don't want to beat this drum too much, but... I, I think steps are very detailed. Those are When you think of the grand scheme of eternity, what step I take is really small. But that's just it. God in His love and His desire to shepherd us and His desire to care for us wants to guide the details of our lives to be unfolded in just the right way at just the right time so that His purposes can be accomplished in our lives. He works all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So we need to hold on to the reality that even if we maybe don't understand the full timing of God, 
we can know that as we follow Him, His plan is at work. Number three, we can be assured that God's Word will come to pass. It's going to happen, just like He said. I love what the angel tells Mary when the angel visits Mary to alert her of what's about to happen. First of all, can you imagine how crazy that experience would be? He appears to Mary and he tells Mary, you're about to be involved in the unfolding of the eternal plan of God. And Mary says, how in the world is this going to happen? I, I'm not, I don't know a man like that. I, I'm not married yet. Like, how in the world am I going to carry the Son of God? And of course, the angel responds and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So what's about to happen is going to be a divine work of God. It's not merely a human thing. And then he adds one more thing. We often say this verse as, and nothing shall be impossible with God. But I like the way one translation reads it in Luke one thirty-seven. The angel tells Mary, no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. If God said it, and God has purposed it to happen, it's going to happen, and there's nothing and no one who can stop that from taking place. Years ago, probably uh, probably 12 plus now, um, Amber and I had been married for four or five years at that point, and we were interested in, in having a larger family beginning to think about having children. We knew on the front end that um, that having children was uh, going to be a challenge. Amber's had some different things take place in her life that when we were visiting with the doctors and expressing our desires, there was a pretty, pretty blanket statement of, without medical intervention, you, you will not have a child. It will have to be helped along. So like anybody who, who has gotten that kind of news, obviously you're open to the understanding and, and ways of medicine and technology in order to try to go through what they recommend. So we went into uh, the treatments of medicines and different things that, that try to basically enact your body to do the things that are necessary in order to have a child. They didn't make Amber feel good. They were, they were strong medicines, and she didn't feel great at all with those medicines. And um, we, were, we were on track that the next thing would have been more of a surgical procedure that I won't even describe because it sounds awful to me. And I remember we were, <clears throat> we were in a church service, and I think it was on a Sunday morning, and it was really clear that the Holy Spirit was working in a lot of different lives. And I remember to this day there was a lady named Michelle, and she walked up to Amber and she began praying for her. We're pretty much an open book, so we... We pretty much, if you get to know us, you'll know a lot about our lives. I mean, we're pretty open with who our kids are and what happens in our lives. And we're pretty open with the reality that we don't have it all together. We're normal people just like everybody else. And so we were in that service, and a lot of people in the church knew what was going on. And so I remember this lady named Michelle walked up and began to pray for Amber. And in those moments of praying for Amber, I remember that she gave Amber this word from the Lord. And, and I'm very careful with word, words from the Lord. Let me give you just a sidebar real quick. When you get a word from the Lord, you don't have to rush to try to make something happen. Just say, okay, God, if this is you, I believe this, I'll trust you to bring it to pass. Now, if there's something God's telling you to do, be obedient. 
But otherwise, lay that word on that shelf and say, God, if this is you, I trust you to bring this to pass. I'm not going to rush to try to make it happen. And God typically will confirm, and through words, a lot of times, He will speak to you through other people what you already have begun to sense in your heart from the Lord, okay? We can have a whole different message on that conversation. But I remember this lady named Michelle gave Amber this message about that, that she would have a child. So it wasn't too terribly long after that uh, that we, we, Amber was pregnant. And we thought, wow, this is it. And I remember being in the doctor's office, and Amber and I are there, and they go ahead to test her to see if she's pregnant just to make sure because she was having some other things going on. And I remember we're sitting in the doctor's room, and the nurse and the doctor are talking out loud in the hallway, and the nurse yells down the hallway and says, Is this test for Amber Cleveland? The doctor says, Yes. She says, Well, she's pregnant. That's how we found out. There was no Hallmark movie way of finding this out. It was the nurse yelling down the hallway to the doctor, violating every privacy notion there ever could have been, telling everybody in the world that we were expecting a child. Indeed, she was pregnant. And within a few days, Amber began to miscarry. And I got to tell you, you may have been in this spot when you have a word from God... And what's happening in the natural is not seeming to line up with the Word of God. There is that potential for doubt to creep in and for you to begin to have question marks. But I can tell you that in the midst of all this, Amber said, you know, I'm just to the point. This medicine's not seemingly working right and and it doesn't seem like this is going to make me feel better. I'm just to the point. If God wants us to have kids, we'll have kids. And i got to tell you, God, I think God operates in a, a tremendously unique way, and I think He knows uh, who we are and how He must operate in order for it to really help us. And on 10, 11, 12, Isabella was born. God knew that I needed easy dates to remember their birthdays. We then had another miscarriage, and later on 71017, the first two numbers equal the last number. I, ain't make, I, I think God works like this. 71017, Annalyn was born. We thought we were done. Amber's blood pressure at the end of the pregnancy with Annalyn was so high, we were very concerned about it. And the doctor, we go back and we're like, okay, we got to make some decisions here. Are we going to have another kid? Are we done in this part of life? And the doctor's like, oh, we can treat that blood pressure totally differently. And honest confession, we were probably trying for a boy. But there's a 99.9% chance in our family that we're not going to have a boy. If you wonder why we don't have four kids instead of three, It's because I'm already highly outnumbered. I've even had people tell me, I'm not making this up. I've had people tell me statistically, the fourth one will be a girl, but the fifth one will be a boy. To which I try to pull from the words of Jesus in Scripture, Get thee behind me, Satan. My point in telling you all of this is today... We are blessed with three beautiful girls because God gave a word and He's faithful to bring it to pass. He's faithful to do what He said He will do. God's word will come to pass. And lastly, number four, what we learn is that God's timing is perfect. 
well, why not now? Why not yet? Why does it seem to be taking so long? What I can promise you today is that God is not too slow and He's never too fast. He knows where we're at. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows how whatever it may be will affect our lives. And if we're prepared in some way, He will do what He said He will do, but He will do it exactly when it needs to happen. His work in our lives, listen to me, His work in our lives is always intentional and purposeful. He's unfolding it as it needs to be. His timing is perfect. I can't help but think about what takes place later in Luke chapter 2. We often think of Luke chapter 2 for the the manger scene and the birth of Jesus. But later in Luke chapter 2, we see this play out in the life of a man named Simeon. Scripture says in Luke chapter 2 verse 25, At that time... I'm not trying to take too much liberty, but do you ever notice how much Scripture speaks to timing and how God orchestrates the details? At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, so he's serving the Lord, he's wanting to honor the Lord, and he's eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Notice it. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him, so here's the word from the Lord, revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So he had a word from the Lord. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So I've got a word from the Lord, and as God sees fit in perfect timing, the Holy Spirit's going to guide my life and unfold things the way they need to be. And it just so happens that the Holy Spirit leads Simeon to go to the temple that day. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. We talk a lot in our world about coincidence. I think as a Jesus follower, it's less coincident and more orchestration. That the paths and the intersections and the crossings and the turns and the steps are less about things that just happen and more about God leading our lives by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was brought, Simeon was there and he took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, you can let your servant die now in peace as you have promised. I've seen your salvation which you've prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people Israel. What's he say? God, you did just what you said you would do. I'm holding your Messiah right here. Okay, Lord, you did it. Take me on. You've accomplished your plan. You fulfilled your promises. So here's the truth. In our lives, if there is one thing of common ground for all of us, even as Jesus followers, it's that we all have to live sometime or another in a waiting season. Now, we may hate those just as much as we would hate sitting in a waiting room for two hours. But the reality is, when it's all said and done, there is a rejoicing for those who trust in the Lord and serve while they're waiting for God to unfold it at just the right time. The call today is simple, to trust in the Lord. 
If, if you carry the weight and you carry the burden and you try to figure it out and you live in the what-if scenarios and you begin to worry and try to make all these things happen to cause everything to align just the way you think it needs to, you will worry, you will be anxious, you will be stressed out, you will be overwhelmed with what's going on in life. But as you trust in the Lord and bring it to Him and you do what he, whatever He tells you to do and keep following Jesus, then you can live in peace. I get it. I've been in the waiting season many times and thought, God, could you do it now? God, what, what's taking so long? Even the psalmist cried out to God repeatedly, God, are you listening? Is this going to last forever? Are you ever going to come through on my behalf? But he would come to the end of each one of those moments by saying, my hope is in the Lord. And that's what Scripture means when we talk about waiting on the Lord. We're not talking about being idle. We're not talking about being crippled or paralyzed in life and not being able to do anything while we're waiting on God to do this work. We're talking about having confidence that God is going to do what He said He would do and anticipating God unfolding it at just the right time. So we trust in the Lord, and we wait on Him rather than trying to force ourselves or force a plan, and we serve while we're waiting. Jesus, I'm going to follow you, and Jesus, I'm going to obey. If you give me instruction, I'm just going to obey that, and I'm going to trust as I walk with you, and as I obey, you'll bring it about just as it needs to be. You see the full picture. You see what the puzzle's supposed to look like. It's a puzzle to me, but it's not a puzzle to God. We see the perfect timing of the birth of Jesus and the salvation plan. God was always in control. God was always at work. He always knew exactly what needed to happen and when it needed to take place. And that same God is at work in our lives to unfold the details just as they need to be. So I want to spend a few moments today responding if you're in the room today, would you stand with me? And I want to lead us in this time of response today. If you're online, I'd love for you to give an opportunity to do the same. I'm going to ask our prayer team members who are here today, would you make your way and to either side of the auditorium? In a few moments, I'm going to pray for you. And if you want to talk about or make a decision to follow Jesus, there are people who will spend time with you today and help lead you to Him. If you've got needs in your life and you're, you came in today and you're heavy, you're, you're feeling burdened, there's something that's really going on that seems to be dominating a lot of life right now and you just need somebody to agree with you in faith in Jesus to work it out and to work in your life, there are people who will pray with you. I think the response today is one of two things. When we talk about timing, there's no better time, no more perfect time than the moment right now for you to make the decision to follow Jesus. God has done all of this work for you. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross and to rise from the dead and prove that He was the Son of God and to take our place and pay the guilt that we all have. Today is the perfect time for you to come to that realization and come to Jesus and say, you know what, I'm recognizing in my own self, I don't live a righteous, holy life. I don't measure up to God's perfection. I, I need grace. I need mercy. I need Jesus. The issues of this world and the issues of our lives are products of this sin problem, this human heart problem that's in our world today. And Jesus is the only answer and the only way for forgiveness, the only answer for freedom, 
and the only answer for life after this life. So maybe your response needs to be today to make that decision to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're in that other response side and you find yourself in a waiting season. And today, maybe maybe the greatest thing you can do is to find a place that in humility you come before God and you say, God, I don't know that I get it. I don't know that I understand it all. I don't... I don't know that I've got it all figured out. And, and Lord, maybe even I'm struggling to believe some of this and, and, and maybe some doubts trying to creep in. And I, I'm trying to hold on to what you've said. I'm trying to hold on to what you promised. But maybe you be honest with the Lord in humility and say, God, I'm struggling. I, I don't see it happening yet. But you're able to come before God and say, God, I will trust you because you know better than I ever do. I'm reminded of the old statement that simply says, when we can't see his hands, we can trust his heart. When we don't feel like in our lives he's working, we can trust that he is because of who he is and because of what he's promised. He is God, he never changes, and his word will always come to pass. So if you're in that waiting season, it may be finding a place today in humility and just saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm not going to try to form my own plan. I'm not going to try to make things happen. I'm going to put my confidence in God and trust Him. And I'm going to just simply be obedient as He leads. I'm going to keep serving Him and keep following Him. And as I do that, He's going to unfold everything that needs to happen in my life. Pastor Chris, that just sounds really, really simple. If I'm honest with you today, I don't think God intended for it to be complicated. What complicates it is ourselves. We complicate it. I don't think God wanted it to be complicated. He's proven himself time and time again. So I think he calls out to us and he says, you know what? All you got to do is look back in scripture. All you got to do is look back in your life and you can see how I've worked. Will you just trust me to work in whatever that area is in your life? Will you, just, will you just trust the same God who saved you? If you can trust him for the greatest need of humanity, the salvation work that is a deeply spiritual work that we don't even necessarily see immediately, right? It's not necessarily as visual as the change that happens inward that then plays out in our lives. If we can trust him for salvation, that's the greatest miraculous thing that could ever happen in our lives. How much more can we trust him with the simple details and to unfold his plan for our life? So maybe today you're in that waiting season and your response is to simply come before God in humility and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. You will make my paths straight. I'm going to pray for you and then I want to challenge you to take some time to respond. Father, thank you for your word and I trust that in these moments, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to hearts much more than I can speak to them. And I trust, oh Lord, that in these moments, if there are people who aren't following you, Jesus, and people who have not dealt with the sin issue in their life, that, um, that Lord, right now, the Holy Spirit is at work, convicting and convincing each person of the need for Jesus. And God, I trust you in, in the hearts of people who are in that waiting season today. That we can trust the time to fully come. That when the right time is there, you will unfold the details of our lives. 
Help us not to put pressure on ourselves. Help us not to try to force it or make it happen, develop our own plans. And certainly, Lord, help us not to live in a place of worry and what if, because, Lord, that's only going to make us weary. Lord, instead, your word says that we don't have to be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, we can bring everything to you. And Lord, we can experience a peace that is better than having understanding. Not just that it's so great that it goes beyond our understanding, but Lord, that we may still not understand. We may still not have seen in the natural anything change, but yet we can walk out of this moment with peace in our hearts, knowing that you are at work. So Lord, I pray even now as we respond and pray that you would work in our lives. We would be faithful to follow and faithful to trust you. Father, would you bless and keep this people. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May your countenance, your favor ever be turned in their direction and grant them your peace. Keep us empower us help us and lead us we pray today in jesus name.